0: Hey, everybody, this episode is brought to you by the City Club of Cleveland. Now, the City Club of Cleveland is one of the nation's great free speech forums. It serves greater Cleveland, the state of Ohio and the nation with programs that convene leaders, engage citizens and provide all of our communities with the opportunities to learn and participate in spirited dialogue on the issues that shape our future. And through these forums, they're creating conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. To learn more about the City Club, to engage in their forums, and to participate in these conversations, visit them at cityclub.org. Hey everybody, this is Aaron Calafato, and you're listening to The Connect. So what does The Connect mean? The Connect to me is that moment in a conversation with someone when you realize that you're better off as a person because you had that conversation. And if there's an audience listening they're better off for it too so that's the simple mission and challenge of this podcast can i create the connect with each one of my diverse guests this episode features my conversation with russ mitchell russ is an american journalist and a news anchor He's been on CBS National. He was in the early show, CBS Early Show on Saturday. You probably saw him there in the late '90s to the early 2000s, or aught years, whatever you say, um, to the mid 2000s. Actually, I don't even know how to say it. Is it aught years? Will somebody message me on the website theconnectpodcast.com? I don't know how to say it, but you know what I'm saying. Late to early 2000s, um, and uh, and then he also was the week, the weekend anchor for CBS News as well, National. And he filled in a bunch of times for Dan Rather, and he is now the managing editor and lead weeknight anchor for WKYC, the NBC affiliate in Cleveland, Ohio. So here's this guy with incredible national experience as a news anchor and a journalist, you know, interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people. Now he's got this local experience, and he worked at local affiliates before, and I just find it interesting, no matter what market you're in, I wanted to pick his brain primarily about one thing, but then we talked about a lot of different things. But like, how do you get in front of a camera? Like, I trained as an actor, so I know how to get in front of a camera and express a character or to tell a story or to do a podcast where you share your opinion or to tell a story on a podcast using audio or to go on radio and give your opinion. But as a journalist, to be live, and it's like that scenario of, you know, five, four, three, silence, silence, you're on. And then... It's like, hello, everybody, there are millions of people and I have to tell you this news story and I have to stay on script. And if I go off script, I got to do it in such a thoughtful manner that I don't alienate millions of Americans or scare them. The responsibility of that. Do you know I would be an utter disaster? You could tell that already. A national tragedy is taking place. I would be an emotional wreck. Everybody. Please just go to the basement, help your children cross the border. This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. It couldn't be anything worse. Oh God, how could you, how could this happen? I mean, happening. That would be me. That's why I'm not doing it. But come on, man. Like Cronkite, Brokaw, P.J. Peter Jennings, R.I.P. Mitchell. To be able to. I still like the starting lineup for the Cavs. But these journalists, that ability to get in front of millions of people locally, nationally, whatever, and clearly articulate the news and share the news and to inform viewers and show a human side but not lose your shit is incredible to me. I mean, we explored in our conversation Russ being live on the air during 9-11. I think he was with Rather. And, there, you know, that's another, Rather. He's, how do you do that? And, you know, the the scenario, there are um, buildings collapsing right now. And there have to be hundreds of lives, thousands of lives at stake. And we're watching this right now. And uh, there are helicopters. How do you do that without being emotional and crying and screaming over the, the horror that you see? You have to be a real journalist. And Russ has been making a living doing that. And that's why he does it. And he's been really honored for that. And so it was a real honor to sit and talk with him and he's also a really authentic guy. You know, he doesn't he's not doesn't just do a news stick. He like the person he is 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 the person that you see and the person who, you know, when he interviews people as well. And that's how our conversation started. I actually saw him in a documentary interviewing one of my favorite storytellers when I was in New York. I found, you know, a mentor who he had he had died, but I was watching Spalding Gray all his YouTube videos and listening to his monologues and I saw Russ Mitchell interviewing him in this in this documentary about Spalding Gray and I was like isn't that that dude from CBS but he's also in Cleveland now and it just sparked my curiosity and I and we and that's where this conversation starts is that sort of uh, that connection point between the two of us and then we ended up having a really fascinating conversation that followed so without further ado here's my talk with Russ Mitchell <music> Uh, there's this movie that comes out that is a documentary about Spalding Gray, and I think it was, I think it was Steven Soderbergh. I can't remember. I have to. We'll do like a little fact check. I don't know who directed it, but it's mm-hmm. this collage of all of his monologues interspersed with his life story. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of this, I see you right. <laughs> sitting with Spalding Gray. <laughs> And you're having a conversation. I think it's when you were CBS. I don't. C- it
1: was the CBS, uh, I believe at that point it was called the C- CBS News Saturday Morning. Yes. Saturday morning. I remember that.
0: So mm-hmm. I'm sitting there and you have, and it's a small piece, but it's you mm-hmm. and him. And it has this, it, you elicit this very poignant moment out of him because he says something like, uh, he's like, you know, I have children now. You're like, what's it like being a father? And he's like, uh, you know, their needs are bigger than yours. And he has this really you know, beautiful moment that adds to the narrative. And then I realized at that time when I was living in Cleveland, I was like, isn't that the national guy? that does CBS morning and on the weekends, right. and didn't he just come to Cleveland? Uh-huh. And that was around that same space. So it was at that time, and even before we started this, I was like, that's an interesting intersection. And so when we started looking for guests, I was like, I wanna pick this guy's brain.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's funny how things work out, huh?
0: Yeah. What <laughs> Definitely. Would, I have to ask you, what, do you, I know you talk to a lot of people. Yeah. Do you remember that conversation at all? I do. Can I you tell me what was it like? Well, was it weird? It was, it
1: was a while. Yes, it was weird. I, that's what I want <laughs> yeah, to really know. He's, yes, he's dead it. now, so he's, we can... he's, he's, no, he's totally weird. Okay. In, 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 but he, he was weird in that sort of intellectual New York uh, theater uh, monologuish way. Yeah. Um, and I remember doing that interview, and yeah, walking away from it. Oh my God, that guy is so weird. He's brilliant. Yes, he's clearly brilliant. And I had done the research before. I didn't. I was not familiar with Spalding Gray before that interview. Before doing the research on him. Okay. But yeah, I walked away thinking, God, that's that was a weird moment, but it was a great moment. It was interesting because he was just a fascinating guy. And I remember when he died.
0: Yeah, um, it was going sad. Going back
1: and thinking about that that interview. That was sad. And he did a monologue, I believe, that after the interview. He yeah, the monologue. And what I recall about that is that the way that show was produced, uh, long story short, is you're
0: talking about, C- you're talking about CBS this particular
1: show that, I, that you saw yeah. the way that show was produced at that time. A lot of it was pre-taped. It aired on Saturday morning, but I believe his segment was pre-taped. And I want to say uh, that was done on a Friday. The show aired on Saturday. He did that monologue three or four times. <laughs> so what you saw on the air was probably the fourth or third or fourth take. Oh, really? Of, of what he had done. And every time I think he did it, we all kind of went, wow, that's
0: interesting. <laughs> yeah. He was a, he's a neurotic, was a neurotic yeah. guy. And as, but as a storyteller, I just thought it was so compelling. And then you have this cool moment in this documentary and you elicit this, this mm-hmm. thing from him. You're, you're uh, interviewing lots of people. And for me, like I said, my natural form is a storyteller, so I'm kind of learning this interview thing. Gotcha. But I've always been a conversationalist. Yeah. I grew up in a way, we, we talk this way in my family, and just right. like sitting down really connecting with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're sitting down with people, how do you maintain uh, your journalistic integrity? Which, Because you're in a different medium. This is a podcast. We can talk about whatever. Mm-hmm. You obviously have, not only is there oversight, but from, you're a journalist too. So, so how do you maintain that integrity? As well as still maintaining that sort of sense of realness that you have.
1: You know, I think it's it's coming to the party prepared. Mm-hmm. I think when you talk to somebody in a real way, like we're talking right now, yeah. that's that it, that resonates with people on one level. But when you know what you're talking about, or at least you can fake what you know what you're talking about, yeah. it, it resonates on a different level. So that's how you do it. You you go into this, this to that situation, whatever it is, knowing as much as you can know about that other person, how far how far you can go, how far you want to go, how much time you have, yeah. what is your objective in the interview, and as long as you're prepared, I, I, I think maintaining that journalistic integrity comes across, not
0: only to the viewer, but to the person you're interviewing. Do you ever get jarred? Have you ever gotten jarred by a guest, someone that just... Like it was, the conversation was uncomfortable, or or that you pushed a level. Do you have any yeah. moments like that? Oh yeah,
1: there've been a few, I've, I've, more than a few. Um, I mean, the ones that come to mind right now. I interviewed James Brown, the late James Brown. Did uh, you really? A few years ago, it was in uh, Savannah, Georgia. No, it was uh, Augusta, Georgia, at a Holiday Inn in a room. Kind of like this room we're in now, a big conference. Was this room. for KYC or is this it was different? For, this was for CBS News Sunday Morning. Okay. Uh, and Mr. Brown, which is what you had to call him, hmm. wasn't really interested in being interviewed yeah. <laughs> that day. So I'm trying to pull stuff out of him in the middle of the interview. He gets up and walks away because he's tired. In the middle of the interview, he tells me that I'm not very
0: good. Oh, that's he's, hard, he man. He says,
1: "Oh, he says, uh, he says, oh man, uh, 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 you don't have no style, man. You 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 don't have no style." And you know, the left side of your brain is going what the hell, sure. you know? And the right side of your brain is going, oh, my God, the godfather of soul is dissing me. How do I, do I, know. How do I handle this? So, so, so I say to myself, so I say, well, Mr. Brown, uh, what should I do? How can I get better at doing this? Oh, uh, man, you got to be more like, I see New Hall, uh, 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 Larry King. Really? So I sat there, and then we moved on with the interview, which, you know, only went slightly better uh, after then. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, there have been those moments where you just you lose it. Now, fortunately, that was on tape, so there was yeah. you know, a lot of ways to go there. But there have been a few. I remember interviewing Jewel, the singer. Oh, okay. Again, CBS. And my my take on Jewel is Jewel is a gem. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't a great, <laughs> it wasn't a great interview. She wasn't interested in being interviewed either. Hmm. I think the most profound things she said I asked her this was after she became really big yeah i asked her what's it like being famous what's the most interesting thing about being famous she goes well when i go to the bathroom people listen to me pee really and this was live on tv so <laughs> and you're like how do you compose okay. yourself in that moment <laughs> how do well, you compose well, yourself well you know it is what it is at that point if it's live tv it is it is what it is i mean you just you there's nothing you can do about it you kind of sit back and you you take the role of the audience you yeah. know the audience is probably looking at that and saying what the heck did you just say so they're thinking the same thing you are, so it's that's not it's not difficult. Even with James Brown, even though I knew that was on tape,
0: it's not. I'd be so difficult. morally, I'd be so devastated, I'm so sensitive. Oh my gosh. I'd, I'd be...
1: you know, well, you walked away from, I mean, you walk away, and again, it's it's this happened what eleven years ago, and I'm still thinking. I'm yeah. <laughs> thinking about more than eleven years ago. So I think you just put yourself in the in the in the role of the audience, and if you react as the audience would react, then it's fine. I think people get it. It's it's like if you're on television mm-hmm. and there's a technical problem. Um, oh, man. You have to acknowledge it because to not acknowledge it makes it look stupid and makes you know the viewer think. God, oh, he thinks I'm stupid. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't know that he's talking over uh, elephants and he's talking about ducks and right. that kind of thing. So I think it's the same thing, and that's part of just being comfortable in in that situation and feeling at ease. I think is what helps. Get you, th- get you through those moments.
0: In, in, in acting, they always call it breaking the fourth wall, uh, where you would have to break the fourth wall to acknowledge to the audience. Sometimes you would address the audience. Yeah. There's a lot of experimental theater groups, and Spalding Gray would do this, where he would just, mm-hmm. you know, he'd be talking directly or an aside. Mm-hmm. And I remember, that, to your point, you know, I would have moments where I would have a theater director or someone say, uh, especially in theater when it's live, mm-hmm. when they would say, you know, if you're performing in this play and you hear a big crash in the back, don't pretend as if you didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. Try to incorporate it into the moment. So even if you don't, you don't have to say anything about it, but if you're in this you know, street car named Bazaar, Stella, and you right. hear this thing, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. hear it, look up. And it seems like it's the same sort of thing. You kind of flow with it. It, it
1: makes sense. I've seen a couple of people do it uh, and were kind of inspirations to me. Excuse me. When I saw them yeah. do it, uh, Tom Brokaw was anchoring Nightly News one night and, yeah. the, and the lights went out. Like in the, <laughs> middle, in the middle, I mean, the studio lights went out and then. He said, oh, we were having a problem with the light. And then the lights came back on. And he mm. said, let there be light. That's and it was a nice <laughs> moment. There's a moment from 1973, I believe it was. It was uh, Walter Cronkite mm. anchoring the CBS Evening News. It was the day. It was a fascinating news day. It was the day that Roe versus Wade came down. Mm. It was also the same day that Lyndon Johnson died. So they come out of a commercial break. And Walter Cronkite's on the phone. He, he's on the phone. The camera's on him. He puts his hand up like, t- to the camera like, like he's talking to his and it's wife. Live. And he's going like, wait a minute, I'm on the phone. You know, I, hold on, like, hold on. And he puts the phone. He goes, hold on for a second. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on the phone with so-and-so from uh, the White House. <laughs> That's it crazy. appears that former President Lyndon B. Johnson has passed away. Hold on for just a second. I'm going to see what I – and it was, it was brilliant. It was so real. Yeah. It was, as you said, you know, you're, you're breaking that wall and you're letting the viewers in yeah on a moment that's very real and i think people appreciate that
0: so when you're in this and, and uh, didn't you sub in for dan rather a few times
1: yeah. a, a, a bunch of times yeah yeah. i remember uh, i remember yeah. seeing that so
0: h- how this process works this is this is live am i correct or is this tape? news is live okay so yeah. let me let's i want to get kind of i want to get real specific about this for for listeners to try to get into your head because i've always thought about this like okay. we're doing a podcast right so i can stop this i can edit it right you know i you know, I'm, even when I'm doing the introduction by myself in a recording studio, I have to do like four takes. Mm. You're, you're sitting there, you're filling in for Dan Rather, whoever, but you know that they're, they're doing the, I'm assuming, is this just stereotype where they go five, four, three?
1: No, they're, D- they're, doing, th-
0: they're doing that. They go this happens. So, so you're sitting there in that chair and you know, whatever's on the teleprompter, whatever process you have to go through, that you're going to be addressing millions of people in that moment. What is going through I, your head, you and what, how do you process Aaron, that? Aaron, if
1: we would had this conversation, uh, not only before I do the EV News, but before I do the news tonight, I'd probably be scared to death. I'm sorry. I'll watch you tonight <laughs> and see how you— <laughs> Thanks a lot. Russ you know, is a lot more nervous oh than usual Thanks, tonight. Aaron. Uh, <laughs> you don't look at it that way. Uh, I mean, there is that moment of—in in that broadcast in particular, um, and I grew up watching the CBS EV News, yeah. so the fact that I was sitting there either filling in for somebody or— on my own post in the weekend, whenever I'd hear that music, I'd get goosebumps. Mm-hmm. It never went away, and, and the same feeling is—I get that same feeling here. But that's something I grew up listening to, and to, to imagine yourself in that seat was just, you know,
0: incredible. But you but don't you, think you, about it, so you don't think about that. No, you yeah, There's I mean, millions there's of a, people. There, there's
1: that moment of, like anything else. There's that moment of nervousness, butterflies. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess it's like being an athlete after that first hit. After that first basket, after that first time you fall down, after whatever, you become more comfortable. You become, yeah. you become, you get in a rhythm. So no, I, 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 there were, there are moments where you get, you know, you think about it more than others. But but typically, if if you're if you know the material, uh, if you know what you're talking about, if you have an idea, if, if you know how the broadcast is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it a lot easier, and even when you don't know how the broadcast is going to go, when something happens mid-broadcast, so you've got to make a move, make yeah. a pivot. Uh, that's actually fun because it challenges you in different ways, and that's when the the adrenaline really kicks in, and that that pressure is on your back. But I never looked at it that way. I hmm. don't look at it that way now. I mean, I look I look at I look at the camera as if I'm talking to one person. Yeah, that's the way I. I, I mean, other people do it differently, but the way I've always looked at it is I'm looking at this camera I'm
0: addressing one person
1: if I think of it that way that thousands of people and millions of people are watching me yeah you're right I'd be I'd go crazy
0: Well maybe that explains your style too because like I said at the beginning of this you know there was this sense of just like realness where you're just talking to someone maybe that approach of just talking to one person to the camera is different than you see other folks. And really any medium, if they're thinking there's a million people, you're going to start behaving as if there's a million people out there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Same thing with a the theater. Like when you yeah. have this idea that there's all these people in the crowd that you're going to, it's not just about projecting, you become bigger. But I think the intimacy is really, is really effective. What about your, what was one of those challenging broadcasts that you can remember? Whether it was kind of interruptions, some yeah. of the fourth wall stuff we're talking about, or just like breaking news. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, ha- I know there's a lot. Mm. Yeah. they there, come to mind? I mean, there
1: have been a, a few. I mean, certainly uh, the day that uh, Osama bin Laden was captured, um, mm. May 1st, uh, 2011, uh, happened on a Sunday night. Um, I do the Sunday evening news. So I was uh, in the seat for that. That happened, I guess, about 9 or 10 o'clock in the evening. I think we were on the air for about an hour and a half or two hours and maybe an hour before President Obama actually came out and made the announcement. Right. But we knew what was going to happen, so we, we went on early. Um, in, in situations like that, breaking news a fluid situation you're just trying to let the viewer know as much as you can Uh, at the same time you're letting the viewer know this is a fluid situation so if 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 I'm talking to this person over here and I need to go to this person over here I, I have to be very you know very transparent about that David person over here I'm gonna to have to cut you off for a second we've got Joe over here at the State Department yeah uh, this is a fluid situation if something goes wrong you remind people a lot of folks were on live television you have to understand this is a, a breaking news story and every few minutes because people are tuning in every few minutes uh, you have to remind them why they're watching you know ladies and gentlemen you're watching a CBS News special report Osama bin Laden has been captured, We're waiting for the president of the United States to address the American people. That should happen in a few minutes. Yeah. In the meantime, let's go to so-and-so. So and So. So you're you're more of a conductor, yeah. uh, in, in in those moments, and it makes it easier. Again, when you know the subject, when you uh, when you are aware of what's happening in the world, when you are aware of of that story and the particulars of it, and, and who can fill in the blanks. The worst thing you can do, and, and I tell. Our interns, this all the time, who come in here and say, "I want to be an anchor." Uh-huh. Well, that's that happens, and you know, I wouldn't recommend it because somebody will hire you as an anchor out of school. But uh-huh. the best anchors, I feel, are good reporters, are, are great reporters because that reporter has been there in one way or another and knows what it's like to be out in the field and knows what it's like to handle a situation like this, whether it's a a three-alarm fire downtown or whether it's the capture of Osama Bin Laden, some huge story. Uh, That helps you
0: in the anchor desk. What what kicks in for you and and, and a lot of other folks Mm -hmm. where... Like most people, I'd be incredibly emotional. I'd be like, "You won't believe this! He just got captured." Osama bin Laden. Like I couldn't. I, my nature, even if I was trying to maintain some sort of, you know, into, like Walter Cronkite-esque, yeah. even Russ Mitchell-esque sort of, mm. how do? You, obviously, you're a human being with feelings, right? I mean, right. you you have a private life, you have a personal life, you ha- I'm, you have you, all the emotions. Mm. How do you in that moment? Uh, figure out a way to navigate it when I'm sure inside you're probably like yes well, or yeah. no or well, that, this is the worst
1: with that moment in particular yeah you're going holy shit we got Osama yeah. Bin Laden I mean it, 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 you, I you obviously can't, can't say that right. but you're, you're trying to to <laughs> to say that in a way that conveys um, your um, appreciation of the moment mm-hmm. But not get too far ahead of yourself and and honestly i I learned that from watching people. Mm. I, I would love to tell you that's an instinctual thing. it's not. I got to sit next to Dan Rather for many and many occasions during um, big stories when he was uh, anchoring, and I was his anchor buddy. Um, I think of mm. you nine know, eleven for instance yeah uh, the um the challenger uh, sitting next to him and watching him, and then occasionally you know adding to the conversation, watching the way he worked, uh, stopping, you know, putting things in perspective before going too far, even at sometimes dialing a reporter back huh. who he thought went too far. Uh, Bryant Gumbel is another guy who I just grew up idolizing uh, the way he handled himself in that seat. Again, it was, a, it was a measured approach to delivering what was going on, which, you know, on the one hand showed his appreciation of that moment, but at the same time did not go too far so I mean th- for me those two guys in particular are folks I-, I learned from
0: what's the biggest thing you learned from rather like that from mm. observing is there one thing that sticks out that- it's
1: context and perspective honestly I mean it's it's such it's, it's an overused phrase uh, but it's so true um, you can you can have fact a but if you don't put it in the contact text with with fact b c mm. and d it makes no sense or it comes off totally differently mm. uh, during 9-11 sitting next to him I was sitting him next to him when in the monitor behind us uh, the towers were going down <laughs> one after another, crazy. and you sit there and you—it's surreal, yeah. you know, obviously. And I watched him, and, and listen—I mean, none of us had ever been in that situation before. Where we had covered a story like that. I mean, Dan had been to Vietnam, and you know every major story of the 20th century. I think he would probably tell you, though, he had never seen anything like 9/11. And mm. I remember he—he he didn't say anything. He—he he, the pictures, mm. you know, ladies and gentlemen, you're watching Tower One of the world trade center and sudden, come down. Sudden. I mean, it was very subtle. Yeah. And I remember at one point he said, let's pause for a minute and, and just take in what we just saw. Um, so context perspective, giving, painting a picture for, for, for viewers and not freaking them out. Cause you talk about a moment where you could have freaked the it's world a lot of responsibility. Out. I mean that, that day, I, what I remember about that day again, inside I'm thinking, Wow, we're being attacked. The yeah. United States of America is being attacked. The Roman Empire went down. The American Empire is going down today. This is it. Um, yeah. You know, at the time, we didn't know how many planes were in the air. Uh, it was unprecedented. It was, it was crazy. know, yeah. one after another, you'd hear about, you know, Shanksville. You'd hear about the Pentagon. And, and there were rumors of, of planes going well, here. Cleveland, well, too. Well, right, yeah. I, I can imagine. I'm I can yeah. imagine. And then, you know, the President of the United States was... You know on a plane somewhere in an undisclosed location, mm-hmm. so I remember for a few hours there thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh, this is it yeah. we're we're coming to an end today and and uh, it would have been <laughs> it would have been a mistake to go on TV and say that this is this is it folks <laughs> we're coming to an end today right. but watching rather in that moment um, calm calm the viewers, tell mm-hmm. people that this is what 's going on, but not freak them out any more than they were already freaked out. Uh, was a teachable moment for me. There were many. There are many moments with him like that, but that was one in particular.
0: Where did you grow up? It was it Midwest, St. Louis, Missouri, Louis.
1: very much like Cleveland? Um, you know, C- Cleveland uh, West. We'll, we'll we'll call it uh, former industrial Midwestern city, um, much like Cleveland, trying to figure out the next move. Um, you know, after our years of industrial glory what do we do next how do we redefine ourselves in 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 this new world population decline all that kind of stuff so so very similar conditions. did your how did it how did your family get there do you know like or, or was it generations or was it just i think it was generation i mean it's funny. i i, I don't know the exact
0: you know i'm doing the, an ancestry.com no, so, yeah. no no it's
1: a great it's a great question i i don't know the exact um uh way that happened i know i have my Paternal grandparents were from the South, and my maternal grandparents were from another part of the South. But yeah. there were all sorts of things that that uh, brought them there. But I want to say I was probably I'm probably a fourth generation St. Louis okay. in, in that respect.
0: And what was it like growing up? Was it good, bad? It's you great. Had, had a great childhood. Had yeah. a
1: wonderful childhood. Mom was a school teacher. Uh, father same worked at. Uh, right? You same with you? Okay. Yeah, she's a
0: public school teacher. Yeah, yeah,
1: same here. My mother taught third grade for thirty years. Okay. Uh, my dad I worked at uh, McDonnell Douglas, which is now Boeing. Okay. Uh, which at the time was the largest employer in, in St. Louis. I yeah. mean, every third house in our block, you know, dad worked at McDonnell Douglas. Yeah. Um, great childhood, um, you know, wonderful parents. Uh, I, I you know, can't say enough about them, they've, they've passed away. Um, mm. So, but I, I have fond memories of St. Louis and my childhood. Do you, have, do you have siblings? Are you only a kid. I do. I have a brother. My brothers. Uh, I'm the oldest. My brothers um, lives in Chicago, and my sister lives in Kansas City.
0: Are they in the same business as you? or Are the guys just they're diverses? much smarter than I am? Oh. No,
1: they <laughs> they would never do anything
0: like that. My brother is uh, actually an HR. Okay,
1: and, and my sister's a homemaker in in Kansas City.
0: When did the passion start? With uh, you talked about growing up as a kid, you no. know, hearing that that sound of the CBS nightly news, and you were just yeah. like, when did that start? That passion start for you? Was it? Did you know right away, like, yo, I mm. think. I know I want to get into this. I know for me, it was like when I started seeing great performances or hearing great stories, even from my grandparents, I was like, I think I can want to do something like that. What was that? Do you have
1: a moment like that for you? I had a moment in particular, but I remember I always watched the news as a kid. Um, and, um, why did you and, like it? Most kids are like, "This is boring as hell." Like, you know why? what? There was just something fascinating about it. it was, yeah. I was always been I was always interested in history. I remember my father and my grandfather, my mother, all my my family would sit down and they'd watch the news. That's what oh. we did. And, and time, things were different then, uh, Aaron. I mean, now you can get the news anytime you want, but but back but in the cycle. day, yeah, back in the day, you watched uh, the news when it came on. <laughs> yeah, you had to wait for it, and then at about two a.m. <laughs> right.
0: or two a.m. that, boo- Oh, yeah, it
1: went the, off. But if you wanted to watch uh, a national newscast you, in the Midwest in St. Louis at five thirty in the evening. You sat down and you watched it because it wasn't coming back on and you weren't going to go online to catch it. Yeah. So um, as a family, we would sit down and watch the news. Uh, I remember my you know, grandfather, one day I wanted to watch a football game. He said, oh, we'll watch that, but let's watch the news first. Um, and I remember during Watergate, uh, my parents calling me in the room and they said, hey, sit down, we want you to see this. This is history. Wow, and you know at the time you're not appreciating it. You're so like, they, so
0: they, they, not only were they informed, this was like a tradition that everyone sat down and watched the news. At yeah, night? I mean it was. It was it,
1: yeah, I mean, but was it that was, like in
0: all-American households at that time? Like I think that, it, you know what every parent, every family I grew up
1: with, and it, yeah. I mean today it sounds like oh you know like like appointment viewing for everybody, mm-hmm. but it was just kind of natural back then for my family and other families that I knew. But but I, I think the difference in my house, and perhaps this was going on in other homes as well, is my parents, uh, they wanted me to sit down and watch wow. uh, the Watergate hearings. They wanted me to hear Barbara Jordan uh, late Congresswoman from Texas, Black woman from Texas, mm. you know, grill some member of the of the Nixon administration. They wanted me to see this. They wanted me not only to get the historical aspect of it, but to, to, to show me that hey, Black people are there. Black people are doing mm. great things here on Washington. They're a part of this story. So, I've always appreciated what they did with me on that and bringing me in and and and, and letting me see a world that a lot of thirteen and fourteen year olds back then uh, didn't really see because they weren't forced to see it.
0: Yeah. Moving into mm-hmm. what you did, when was it like I want to make this a profession? And also, I think for a lot of perspectives, um, you go from a different time frame and even go through generations where you mentioned representation, you enter a field. How do you navigate that? and how do you say, okay i can I can see a destination for myself and did you did you encounter challenges through your uh, through your life, not just professionally, uh, but from your background and mm-hmm. and then and and what was it what was that what was the thing that made you want to become a professional? or did you it's not i don't mm-hmm. think you fell into it right i mean you were just like no I no
1: I, I i can tell you i i it was something i thought i wanted to do um, yeah. but i remember my between my junior and senior years of uh, high school i was in the high school newspaper all that you know typical stuff yeah. uh, but i remember I, the, between my junior and senior years of high school i excuse me, I had the chance to go to a workshop, a journalism workshop at the University of Missouri in mm. Columbia, Missouri.
0: You ended up going to college there, right? where I went,
1: ended up going to college, and it was a two-week workshop, and it was pretty intensive. You got to do a story, you got to shoot, you got to edit, and I, remember, I remember coming away from that, thinking, oh my God, this is fun, I think I wanna do this. So I got back to St. Louis, mm. uh, and uh, <laughs> it's actually a very funny story. My, I, I wanted to get a job in a TV station doing anything. Uh, I just wanted to get my foot in the door. Yeah. And my cousin told me about a job uh, at a, the ABC affiliate in St. Louis, and being 17 years old and being stupid, I said, uh, "Is it a reporter's job?" And she just laughed. No. And I said, "Is it a producer's job?" No. I go, "What is it?" She goes, "You'd be answering the phone at hmm. night." So I took the job. I got, I applied for the job and got it. And for a year, my senior year of high school, I was the night switchboard operator. Oh, really? At this station, a television station in St. Louis, and. Not only did I learn a lot about the business because I was in the room. I'm answering the phone. I didn't learn about the business, but I would go back to the newsroom. I would watch, you know, how they did things. I would watch how a television station operated. Huh. Um, I think that was the moment that year when I got to see people up close and, and, and have some really uh, encouraging people uh, behind me. Uh, I think that's when I said I want to pursue this if I can. Then I went to University of Missouri and journalism school and, uh, was lucky to get a job out of school, and you know, blah blah blah. You can go through that if you want, but but that's kind of how I. That's that's kind of the the push I guess that I had yeah. to, to say to myself.
0: I, I think I want to do this. I got a couple more before we were to let you go. So, mm-hmm. w- how did that gig come about? How did the the national gig? Because I know you. I think we were at Dallas for a bit, or you. Were, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so when when did that happen? How does that opportunity present itself? Well, for real, like yeah. mostly like how do you how do you get? Yeah,
1: that? for for everybody it's different, honestly. And in today it's a lot different than it was for me back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a reporter in Kansas City, Missouri, then Dallas. Yeah. In St. Louis, and uh, CBS was starting an overnight news pro- broadcast called Up to the Minute, and my agent, I had an agent at that point, uh, had heard about it, and uh, put me in touch with the people at CBS. I interviewed, and I got the job. So that's kind of how that that happened. I mean, that in that it still happens that way today, but there yeah. there are 18 million other ways that it happens now. Back then, there was kind of this. Um, how, do I, how do I describe this uh, s- network snobbery? Maybe huh. too strong a word, but. Uh, there were steps you took before you got to the network. Um, You went here, there, here, there. That really doesn't have to happen uh, anymore. You can go from a small market to the network now, and there are many reasons for that. Um, but that's the way it worked for me. And that's the way it worked for
0: a lot of people of my generation. So, so you go uh, national, what, what is, give me one pro big pro, one big con from doing it from that national mm-hmm. perspective. Oh, the big pro from the, the national
1: perspective is you, your canvas is huge. Yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> there's a story anywhere you go. And if mm-hmm. you're in, if you're in the mix, you go, um, you know, you, there's a story in Los Angeles. You're based in New York. Well, if they need you in LA, you're going to LA. If, this, mm-hmm. if it's OJ, you're going, if, if you're in the mix, um, if there's a big story in D.C., if you're in the mix and they need you, you're, you're in play for something like that. The canvas is huge. Yeah. Uh, if there's a war somewhere, you know, yeah. you're know, you in play for that. So the canvas uh, is huge. It, it, this isn't really a con, but it's very competitive. It's, 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 it's actually it, it, part of what makes it exciting is it is very competitive because there are a million people like you who, who want to do that, uh, to have that big story. And any nightly newscast, which and And I'm speaking now of the three evening network newscasts are like mm. twenty two minutes long. Mm. So you're fighting for airtime, you know uh, for with with people around the country who have beats who are covering the White House and things like that. So I mean i I think that the I don't know if that was a con. I wouldn't call it a con, but it was certainly something that that comes into play, and the travel's amazing. The travel's great. The travel's fantastic. Um, Can you, you maintain a personal life? Is life it possible? it is possible, but your life is not your it 's very difficult your life is not your own when you, when you sign up for something like that, and I tell people all the time if you sign up for that cool, just understand your life is not your own i mean you 're going to get a call one day you know when you 're you know doing you have plans to do this and no you know we need you to go do this and yeah. you don 't say no there's not a there, no is not an option because if you say no they 'll send the other person the next time there 's a great book called the evening stars and it 's um, basically the rise of, I guess that would be three or four generations of anchors ago, Dan Rather, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Brokaw, and and Peter Jennings.
0: My oh, man, it, Peter it, Jennings. Man. Oh, yeah,
1: totally, man, the man. man. I mean, a, a, a different time, but these guys, hey, you know, it was all about, it was all about, you need me to go somewhere? You know, I'll yeah. do it. And the rumor was, for years, uh, uh, when Dan Rather got the CBS News job in 1981, the story has always been that, the person everybody thought was going to get it was a guy named Roger Mudd, another legendary journalist. And the, the word was Roger didn't get it because Roger, it was a birthday party. Roger, you know, I can't work that I have a birthday party. Hmm. Um, that's, this is one small part of the legend given why he didn't get the job. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, rather it was that guy who, you
0: know, who, do it. Who, who was do, he
1: did it and he was, he was very good at
0: it. So we come full circle now, and it's mm. been several years since you've been here. Now you go from national; it may not be mm. St. Louis, but now you're in Cleveland, some, yeah. a city very similar. Yeah. So uh, to send us out, what, what has it been like here? I don't want to say why Cleveland, because everyone says why Cleveland. There's something wrong with Cleveland. <laughs> it's the same thing with like St. Louis. I, like why? I, I
1: appreciate I, you asking
0: that. Yeah. No, not asking that because people have asked me that for seven years. I've mean, that In
1: like... the first few times I, I was asked, I get it. You know, why yeah. did you do this for that? And you know, the short answer is, I you know I was looking for a change, wanted to go to a local market, and this was a great place to go. But but after so many years when people ask me that i get the same feeling you why not cleveland yeah. i mean it's a, it, it, it's a great place but no it, it's what i love about this place is local tv and especially cleveland is you can be part of the community here yeah. um, you can in your own you're way, all over the place i mean whether what? it's a
0: city club i say i mean you're you're into mm. these different facets
1: it, it, it's it's fun uh, it, it's great to be a, a, a part of the discussion um to have a voice in the discussion um to uh, be invited <laughs> to mm-hmm. be a part of the discussion. I, I didn't really have that. The network. I mean, your so your canvas is so big. I did some events and things like that. But unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're in the upper echelon of that of that world, you're not gonna. You know, you're, you're not gonna sit down with 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 people on a daily basis that that I can sit down with here. So there's like an intimacy
0: Um, here for these kind of markets. There's an
1: intimacy here, but I, but also I think, I think there's something special about Cleveland in Mm -hmm. that Cleveland embraces that. I think Cleveland embraces people who have ideas. They want to hear what you have to say. Um, I, 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 I think that St. Louis, you know, it's been a while for me now since I've lived there and worked there, but it's a similar a similar vibe in St. Louis. But but there's something about the inclusiveness, I guess, of Cleveland that I um, have really appreciated. And I'm a part of three board of directors here that uh, I'm you know proud of to be a part of the the, the college now, uh, the, the the press club, and the diversity center. Mm-hmm. And it's not just sitting on a board and listening other people talk. You really have a voice, and I think that's something that that is.
0: Is if not unique to Cleveland, certainly appreciate it. Can you remember a conversation? Can be sad, happy, mm-hmm. intense. Think of all the the, the the realms and layers of emotional mm-hmm. possibility. Mm-hmm. But can you try to just pick one that you remembered that that changed your life? Yeah, I and I'm able
1: to to say this quickly because I was thinking about it the other day. This this week that we're doing this is uh, Teacher Appreciation Week. Yeah, so you and, tweeted out a couple I, of things did about that. My, yeah. my mother was a school teacher. Um, and I remember being eight years old, and uh, my, mother, my mom and I were at a store. And my mother taught in inner city St. Louis, a pretty rough neighborhood. Yeah. But we, were at a, we, was, we lived in the suburbs. We were at a store. We had a you know, nice life. And it's a couple weeks before Christmas, and my mom is buying gifts. And being like the eight-year-old that I was, I said, hey, are those gifts for me? And she said, no, they're for my students. And I said, why on earth would you buy them gifts? And she said, for some of them, these are the only gifts they'll get. Um, and that moment... Uh, Fifty years ago has stuck with me now. It, 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 even though at the time I didn't realize how it would change my life, but it, it informs my thinking about everything. Um, it, it lets me know how. It, it, it it's one of those things. It lets me know how lucky I am, uh, how fortunate I've been in in, in life. Um, how uh, respecting others and and just trying to be a better person as much as you possibly can. But I. I go back to that moment uh, as one of those you know many conversations I had with my parents and others that kind of I think try to shape or is is shaping who I
0: am man thanks thank you man appreciate you sure Thanks. for all your listening needs for the connect make sure you go to the connectpodcast.com and you can also find the connect on most platforms and apps where you stream your podcast make sure you go and do that and subscribe and remember stay connected. I'll talk to you next episode. And
1: everybody wants to tell you
0: how to sing your song. Everybody's got it wrong.
1: to tell you
0: how to sing your song